Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Okay, software as a medical device. This is a very hot topic in the medical device industry today, and there's a lot of confusion on how and what and when to do things to meet FDA or EU or other regulatory body expectations. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation that I have with Andrew Wu. Andrew is a software consultant for Rook Quality Systems and has a ton of experience on working with SAMD companies and ensuring that the documentation, the platform, the systems that they establish during the design, development, and manufacturing of software adheres to and aligns with the regulatory requirements. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your founder, uh, and VP of Quality Regulatory Greenlight, as well as your host for the Global Medical Device Podcast, John Spear. And, you know, folks, I know it's crazy to think about today in the medical device industry, how many products are incorporating or including or exclusively software-based these days. And there's kind of this new acronym that's out there, SAMD, Software as a Medical Device. And good news for you, I have Andrew Wu. Andrew is the a software consultant for Rook Quality Systems uh, and, and an expert in how to manage software as a med device project. So, Andrew, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thanks for having me, John. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Now, Andrew, I know you do work all over the world, and uh, I, I believe as we're chatting today, uh, you're in some exotic location. So where are you uh, calling from today? <laughs> um, I'm currently in Taiwan right now, uh, helping uh, a, a startup uh, of, of, uh, of a friend of mine who I have been knowing for a few a long time. Uh, but for the past, uh, I have been helping many companies in the space of software, medical devices, uh, both embedded software and also SAMD, it's a standalone software for applications in uh, in in the healthcare space. So um, to be have to have the opportunity to uh, help out those firms navigating through the regulatory landscape, uh, constantly constantly changing. Uh, in fact, um, it's really rewarding uh, to us and to the team at Rook. Well, that's great, and and I know you guys have been doing some fantastic work and. You know, for those of you listening, you know, I suspect some of you, this might be, you know, old hat. You might have been in the medical device industry for quite some time. Um, others of you, uh, if, it, if it's indicative of conversations that I have on a weekly basis, you may be developing a, a software product that, yeah, it's considered a medical device, but you may not speak regulatory. <laughs> you may not speak FDA or 1345 or 62304. And, and Andrew, I thought maybe before we dive too deep into the topic, it, it might be good to kind of level set uh, the audience a little bit on, you know, just give an explanation or a definition of what is software as a medical device. Yeah, definitely. Um, as we all have seen, the software applications in the healthcare industry is emerging and adoption of those standalone software services is increasing significantly. Um, 
So as a result, um, all the regulatory bodies in the world have been updating their regulations uh, over time and even launching new initiatives and programs to accommodate a variety of new applications uh, seeking for approval to be marketed. Um, and software as medical device is a standalone software which performs one or more medical purposes without being part of the hardware device. Um, for instance, uh, if uh, the software's main objective is to be the driver for the hardware device, it will not be considered software as medical device. However, um, if there is a computer-aided detection software which performs the post-processing of images, to help the, the breast cancer detection uh, through the supply of images by the user or by the provider um, and have their backend algorithm that gives you the result in 48 hours, um, this will be considered as a standalone software as medical device. All right, well, that's helpful. So it might also be helpful to explain what is not software as a medical device. And based on the definition that you just provided, uh, for embedded firmware, not software as a medical device. Yeah, for example, um, uh, a software, a piece of software that monitors the performance or the proper functioning of a hardware device uh, that will not be considered as a software uh, SAMD. Also, the other example of that is when a piece of software is enabling the clinical communication and workflow without uh, giving any medical purposes. Um, that will not be considered as SAMD either. Um, and I, I think uh, that's where uh, Rook and uh, our consultant is very, very experienced at, is helping the manufacturers uh, navigating through this uh, definition of SAMD or other types of softwares um, because the regulations have been changing uh, constantly. Um, sure. And the regulatory bodies have been, um, you know, accommodating and making some tweaks on the way that they foresee and try to give oversight to many new applications on the market. So, um, so we will be able to provide more information in regards to that and work closely with the clients in that regards. Well, I mean, it's a really good point. And at the same time, um, you know, even that embedded firmware, uh, it's from, for all intents and purposes, from a regulatory perspective, is considered software. And, and I realize that it may not be SAMD, but it still is software that is an integral part of a medical device. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly correct, John. Um, that's where uh, FDA had been putting most of their focus on. Um, as many of the manufacturers already know, in 1997, um, FDA published a software validation, basically a guiding principle uh, to provide the manufacturer guidance how they should provide and prepare their regulatory submissions in terms of the content for what they submit. Um, but as this industry is progressing in the way that providers are uh, utilizing software in many different areas, um, and the, the landscape is really changing. And that particular foundation guidance is not enough um, for many 
uh, applications. Uh, for instance, FDA had been recently publishing a pre-certification program for digital health applications. So um, this will allow the developers or aka the manufacturers to create, uh, adapt, and expand their functionalities of their software and constantly be in communication with the FDA and have a dialogue and making sure that while they're giving, uh, while the FDA is giving enough oversight on the application, the manufacturers still have the flexibility to make changes to their software pieces. And um, I think that's a great example of how FDA is planning and engaging in this kind of activities uh, for future applications in uh, this particular area. Uh, and we're really, very excited that FDA have been uh, actively doing that. Yeah, it's um, it's a really great program. It's one of the examples of some of the, the relatively recent, more progressive, more innovative uh, regulatory programs that that uh, FDA has is starting to implement. And, and the feedback that I've heard has, has been really uh, good as well. Um, Andrew, I want to dive into something that, that I think creates a lot of confusion, at least from the seat that I sit in and the conversations that I have on a, on a fairly regular basis. Um, and, and it kind of goes like this. So there's a, a software company or a software team that's developing, um, for all intents and purposes, what is a medical device. So it fits under the SAMD. But there's, they're not... The, the software developers, very brilliant people, excellent software developers, but they don't speak regulatory. They don't, they don't speak FDA and, and so on. And, and, but at somewhere along the way, they discover this standard IEC 62304, and they start to you know, uh, really adapt or adopt some of the methodologies that are, that are in the 62304 standard. Um, but but I think there's a disconnect, you know. I think um, there's a disconnect between the practices that are in place and being able to translate that information into regulatory speak, if you will. But it might be worthwhile to, to take a few moments and kind of talk a little bit about the six two three zero four standard, you know, focusing on like a level of concern, classification, and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that's a very, very important topic that uh, many manufacturers would be willing to know more. Um, and in fact, um, IEC 62304 is the consensus standard that many regulatory bodies over the world uh, have agreed uh, to. And this standard basically gives uh, a, a high-level guidance to the manufacturer uh, on how they should manage their software life cycles uh, from their planning to develop during their development process and during their design verification and validation uh, stage and also post-launch uh, or well, before that is deployment uh, 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 to the, to, to, to the uh, client um, and post-launch surveillance. Um, so that's very similar uh, steps of a typical uh, medical device uh, being uh, on the market, um, but have a regulatory uh, have a regulatory pieces on the software control. Uh, that's where a lot of people have confusion on. And the very first step for manufacturers to realize what they need to prepare for a regulatory submission is to understand the classification. Um, Back in uh, the previous uh, 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 release of 
62304, I believe was back in early 2000. I cannot remember exactly what year was it. Um, the classification was not that clear. So it opens up to many interpretations uh, to the manufacturers to make a call on this. However, uh, in 2005, uh, there's an amendment to 62304, and they provided a flowchart, uh, allowed the manufacturers to follow and help them delineate the hazard situations that uh, the failure uh, that caused by software failure or a latent defect of our software application, and also taking considerations uh, of the risk control measures they they plan to develop the effectiveness of those measures. And last but not least, the severity of injuries, which uh, the previous standard, uh, the previous release of this standard have put a lot of emphasis on. So um, in short, there are many changes in how manufacturers uh, have to leverage to identify the classification of their software. and. In addition to 62304, I think there are two other resources that's worth um, uh, looking at for manufacturers. If you are a US-based uh, uh, manufacturer, the level of concern uh, guidance by the FDA is very, very helpful um, to help you determine in what scope of documentation needs to be provided to the FDA for your classification of devices. And also to the topic that we speak today, in particular, the SAMD classification in a guidance uh, provided by uh, the International Medical Device Regulatory Forum. Um, they also provided a good example um, to help you determine the, uh, the classification of your software devices, uh, so or sorry, software as medical devices. So. There are multiple ways of doing so, um, but the best practice is, is really to uh, uh, understand how those regulatory bodies structure this classification procedure and have uh, a chat, have a further discussion with uh, people who have done this before and to help really help you identify the precedents that they have seen that would that can let uh, help you take advantage of the regulatory path that some of the manufacturers have explored uh, with the FDA. Uh, yeah, I mean, and so when we talk about SIMD classification and level of concern, I mean, I get that the standard uh, 6304 and the FDA guidance, you know, give some explanation on that. But, but Andrew, I mean, help me, I mean, help the audience. Why does that matter? Why do I care about level of concern? Why do I care about my SAMD classification? Well, essentially, it's just like any other medical devices, uh, looking at the safety profile of the software and understand the impact of its safety profile uh, when a failure happens or when a defect uh, occurred, uh, what kind of safety concern should be, should be addressed uh, sufficiently. Um, you know, similarly uh, to any hardware devices out there, um, we have to understand uh, how we plan to implement control uh, uh, over those uh, risky uh, scenarios that occurs. Um, and on the other hand, um, when 
the manufacturer is going through this preparation uh, on their regulatory submissions to the regulatory bodies, such as FDA, um, this classification is very critical that helps you understand the scope um, of the documents that you need to provide. And a good example of that is for the FDA um, level of concern, uh, documentation requirements, which is clearly uh, listed on the, the level of concern guidance document that I, we highly suggest any manufacturer out there to take a look and check it out. Um, for uh, minor concern devices, essentially, there are many documents that you do not need to provide to the FDA uh, while they're reviewing it. Um, you just have to keep that in your quality management system and have a traceability among those documents, but um, it's not required to do it extensively. However, if your software as a medical device is considered a major concern, uh, the FDA definitely will uh, require you to provide uh, enough, more than enough information uh, to, to help them review the devices. And also, at some point of time, they might ask you to provide uh, your surveillance, uh, post-market surveillance data on the performance of your software even, um, or some other relevant uh, information that the FDA thought uh, you, as a manufacturer, you should address more and more extensively. So um, I think the FDA is, is uh, taking, uh, you know, this opportunity to work with many manufacturers all, all, all over the country or even all over the world um, to, to really streamline this process. But really software is case by case and FDA is taking this learning opportunity as well to refine their way to give oversight to the manufacturers. But at the same time, the best approach for the manufacturer is to be in constant communication with the FDA to be aware of all the changes on the regulatory guidelines and be sure that you have conversation with consultant or who have done this before. And that would be really helpful. Um, and that's definitely our uh, best advice for yeah. many manufacturers out there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'd I just want to remind you, I'm talking to Andrew Wu. Andrew is a software consultant for Rook Quality Systems. Rook is a partner of ours at Greenlight Guru. And, um, you know, we're starting to dive into areas on, on this conversation about the importance of a quality management system and documentation during your software development process. And, you know, you should know that this is a, the, the big reason why we're here at Greenlight Guru is to try to simplify those quality management system needs and the documentation that is expected and required and frankly is going to help demonstrate and prove that your the products or the software that you're developing uh, as a medical device are safe and effective and meet your indications for you so if you'd like to learn more about how greenlight guru is helping software as med device companies bring their products to market and ensure uh, compliance along the way you should definitely go over to www.greenlight.guru and learn more information and feel free to request the demo so you can learn how our platform is helping companies like yours. So, Andrew, you started to talk a little bit about the quality system needs. And I think that's really important because when we, uh, sometimes when we talk to software as a med device, as I've already mentioned in this conversation, oftentimes it is a 
it's the first time that the, that the company or that the team assembled to develop this software as a med device. It's the first time that they're really entering into a uh, regulatory environment. And, you know, they, they don't speak FDA, they don't speak regulations. And, and sometimes the, the conversation is a bit challenging because, you know, here I am trying to promote best practices when it comes to implementing a quality management system. And you just hit on a couple of things that are really important <laughs> for companies to think about. Um, but oftentimes it's like, oh, I don't need to worry about that right now. I'll deal with that later. But you just hit on some very key reasons why even in the development cycle, uh, it's important for an SAMD company to start to build their quality management system. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we cannot, you know, emphasize enough on how important quality management system is uh, for manufacturers out there. Uh, you know, not just hardware devices, but software devices in particular. Um, when we first, uh, when I first started uh, working with Rook. On, on occasions with uh, a few startups, uh, which their founders did not have prior experiences in the healthcare space. Um, you know, we, we try to communicate how important this quality management system is to them. Um, but we actually found out that, you know, this, uh, the, our, our approach of, you know, uh, letting him know the framework and complexity of the quality management system uh, is not the best way to help them understand. Uh, most of the time, the, the, their team learn by doing it and encountering all the pitfalls that we have seen multiple times in our past experiences with prior clients, and then they realize how important that is. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we, we, we try to keep them informed um, you know, during their development process, uh, which documentation needs to be recorded? Uh, what's your the best practices to re, to to have those records? How do you keep traceability among all different stages during the development and even uh, on the market? Um, you know, we we just cannot emphasize how important and how meticulous a QMS system would be very helpful for many manufacturers to follow. Uh, you know, not just from the regulatory standpoint, not just trying to uh, get an approval from the regulatory bodies, but also to help the manufacturers uh, to, to keep a close eye on every step along the way, every development step, every testing steps, uh, every deployment step. Uh, you know, all those steps uh, are, are really, it, it can get down to granulars. Um, and following a good QMS uh, framework uh, with, with help uh, from experienced people outside can really help you uh, both on the quality of your product, but also meeting the regulatory uh, requirements by the FDA and other regulatory bodies. Yeah, I want to level set one term that you mentioned a couple times in that last explanation. You mentioned the term manufacturer. Uh, and I know some of you listening may say, oh, well, we're a software company. We are not a, quote, manufacturer. <laughs> um, but it's important to realize um, when Andrew used the word manufacturer, if you are developing an SAMD device that you're going to launch into the marketplace, uh, you are considered a manufacturer. I realize you're not tangibly building uh, a mechanical device, 
Um, but it's still by definition, you are a quote manufacturer. So just keep that in mind. That term does apply Absolutely. to you, even though you're making a, a software <laughs> product. Um, the other thing that I think is important, you know, and you hit on it, uh, this as well is, you know, there are, you know, Rook quality is, is a good example. Greenlight Guru is another, um, good example. We know how to build quality systems for software as a med device. Uh, we know how to speak FDA and ISO 13485 and ISO 14971. And these are all expected practices that companies need to uh, adopt and, and implement within their system. So, you know, I, I can't emphasize enough, whether you come to, to Andrew uh, and Rook Quality or you come to me at Greenlight Guru or someone else, do seek out guidance on this because it is very important to make sure that you build systems that will scale and grow. Now, Andrew, one other thing that, that uh, oftentimes I hear, and, and I, I believe this to be uh, kind of a myth, but uh, I'll let you weigh in on it. A lot of times a software company will say, oh, well, that, that quality system stuff, that traceability stuff, it, it's, it's waterfall and we're lean and agile and, and you know, very dynamic in our development practices. And, and so we can't implement a quality system. We can't follow FDA regulations because FDA and, and all the 1345, it requires a waterfall approach. And that's just, that's just not how we do business. Can you speak to that myth a bit? Um, uh, definitely waterfall uh, um, development methodology or development model is the traditional uh, way that many development firms follow. Um, However, uh, a waterfall model uh, sometimes is, uh, is, it can be a challenge uh, for the regulatory uh, bodies to, uh, to, to understand how closely that you follow quality management system. So let me take an example of what we have seen before. Um, because waterfall uh, process is... I'll just give a high-level description on this. You started with the planning of the development of software, and you started developing uh, within your scope uh, and within your uh, resources. And after that, you do testings uh, and validation activities. If uh, the requirements are not met, if the acceptance criteria needs to be adjusted, you go back to the development phase and make some changes uh, uh, and, and then do it again. And after you have completed all the testings and passed all the testing requirements, and then you do the rest, uh, deployment to the clients and such. Um, however, software have many, many pieces, many modules in there like as we call software components um, in 62304. Um, when you are dealing with multiple software components at a time, which they have, uh, each component interfaces with each other at different occasions. Um, that's where the challenge uh, of following the waterfall methodology comes from. When you look at one software component, um, and do the testing, you still have to consider how the dependencies, uh, other software components come into play when they're interacting at some occasions. So you have to be nimble at the same time. You have to be closely monitoring how each software component is behaving. And at the same time, you still have to foresee 
what kind of uh, uh, scenario, hazardous scenario that one or multiple software component fell or have defect would cause the overall system in what level of uh, uh, concern. So there, there are many, many things that you have to consider uh, during the development, during the testing, and definitely during when you're choosing a model to develop your software. And all that really comes down to a good approach, following a good quality management system and have the design control, appropriate design control tools um, to allow the manufacturers to better visualize their hardware, firmware, and software components, um, you know, for your software and also incorporating some of the open source software even, which is a hot topic for many software developers. Um, how do you manage that? How do you incorporate that into your QMS? Um, and I think follow the a good solid QMS and have a good advice from uh, people who have done this before and have experience in the space is going to be very, very valuable to any of the manufacturers out there. Yeah, and, and let me just set the record straight, folks. Um, nowhere in FDA regulations, nowhere in ISO 13485 or any regulatory uh, standard that I'm aware of does it prescribe that thou shalt do waterfall. Um, the, the methodology, the approach that you take when it comes to uh, design and development of your products is up to you to decide. But to Andrew's point, define your methodology, define it in a process, define it in a procedure. And you can do V-model, you can do Agile, you can do Waterfall, you can do a combination of any of those things or something yet that still that we haven't even talked about. There's nothing that's, that dictates uh, the, the methodology that you apply during the design and development process the expectation is that you do describe and define and document activities during the design and development process and demonstrate traceability uh, of all of these different design control elements and risk management elements. That's the requirement. How you get there is a little less important as long as you have a process that's defined. That's, that's absolutely correct, John. It's, you, you have summarized it very, very well. <laughs> All right, so Andrew, we're getting uh, toward the the tail end of our conversation today. But, but you know, you you mentioned at the at the onset uh, that this is an area where you have a lot of expertise. You shared a little bit about a company that you're working with today, but but maybe give the audience a little bit more insights as to how Rook Quality Systems can help software as a med device companies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for the past few years, uh, Rook has had a lot of experience helping manufacturers. Uh, getting uh, their clearances for their embedded software in SAMD. Um, our experiences, uh, you know, uh, lies on IoT devices, which we have many experiences communicating with the FDA, with Bluetooth applications, addressing the cybersecurity issues and the usability issues. And those are the hot topics and those are the, the critical things that FDA reviewers have been putting a lot of emphasis on. And, uh, you know, we do all sorts of things, not just helping um, manufacturers with their quality management system. Um, we also help uh, 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 our clients planning, design, and even development testing um, uh, and develop a testing plan even uh, for them to streamline their process uh, before they can they, they apply 
for a submission to FDA. And also, I would like to uh, really emphasize and, uh, and and say that we're very grateful to have had the opportunity um, to be partnered with Greenlight.Guru. Um, we have had many success uh, working with our clients using the Greenlight.Guru platform, uh, complete multiple software projects, and that we found um, this platform really allow us to uh, uh, to keep close eye on many aspects of the project. And uh, our clients also found it, this platform very, very intuitive and uh, very flexible for them to uh, make the changes according to their approach, uh, to, to their process. So uh, we, we can't be more grateful to have the opportunity to work with Greenlight.Guru. And uh, you know, to, on top of that, I would like to highlight that the multi-level design control, uh, 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 a new version of the Greenlight.Guru platform that was published uh, recently. Um, and I, I think John definitely can speak more about this than, than myself, but um, on our uh, experiences using this new platform, we, we found it, uh, uh, you know, many, many folds more helpful, especially for managing software uh, 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 projects. So uh, it's definitely worth uh, checking out, you know, having a demo by John uh, in particular, I think that's that's very good news for many manufacturers out there. Well, Andrew, I definitely appreciate you sharing that information and and uh, those anecdotes about uh, the teams, the root quality teams' experience and helping SAMD companies and using the Greenlight platform through that process. Uh, folks, I want to thank Andrew Wu. Andrew is a software consultant for Rook Quality Systems. You can learn more about what Rook is doing uh, by going to rookqs.com. And uh, as always, if you'd like to learn more about how the only EQMS software platform in the world that's been designed specifically for and exclusively by medical device professionals, uh, I would encourage you to go over to www.greenlight.guru, request the demo, and we'd be happy to have a conversation with you and, and help share with you the importance of why it is important to be a true quality professional as you're designing, developing, and manufacturing and selling medical devices. So, Andrew, once again, thank you so much for being a part of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thank you very much, John. I really appreciate it. All right. For all of you, uh, thank you once again for listening. As always, this is your host, founder, VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.